If you are available on Tuesday nights, that uh, Priscilla Shiver Bible study, they're going to begin on the 13th, uh, you will greatly benefit from that. I know Priscilla Shire, I've met, we're not friends, I've known, I've met Priscilla Shire's father, who's a pastor, retired now, Tony Evans in Dallas, and uh, 35 plus years ago, I got to meet him, and I've heard him speak many times, I've read many of his books, I've read a lot of her stuff, you will greatly benefit from that, so I think it's a seven-week Bible study on Elijah, and uh, just kinda, I wish I was female, to be honest with you. I may sneak in and put on a wig or something so that they won't uh, know. But I have mitral valve prolapse, and that's pretty much a lady's disease, so I guess that, uh, or affliction, maybe they'll let me slip in. But you will greatly benefit from what Priscilla Shira has to share with you from God's Word. So if you would like to be part of that, I know Ashley needs to order the books. So ladies, if it's something you think you're interested in, you, and uh, you can just give me your contact information or write it on a connect card and put it in one of the black boxes, and I will get it to Ashley so she can order you a book, and it will begin on the 13th. So I would uh, uh, strongly encourage you to pray about that. I think you would uh, benefit from it greatly. Turn to John chapter 8. I'm tell you where we are, and we'll catch up. John chapter 8. Really appreciate what uh, Peter had to share earlier about 4th of July, and it dovetails uh, very well with what we're sharing in John chapter 8. As I told you last time, John chapter 8 is basically Jesus is having a dialogue with these Pharisees and these Jewish leaders about freedom, where he says that great statement before Abraham was, I am. What we're looking at right now is the context Leading up to that statement and why he's saying it, what's going on, the, uh, the dialogue between Jesus and these religious leaders who are self-righteous as opposed to truly righteous and following the one true God, even though they would articulate that they are. So Jesus was trying to explain to them what it really means to be free. He makes that great statement, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed, the truth shall set you free. In this dialogue. So where we are is down to verse 37. And looking at it, we'll get to the outline, maybe. So we're setting up the context where Jesus makes this incredible statement. For Abraham was, I am. It's important to remember the context. The group that he's dialoguing with and that Jesus is talking to are Jewish. But they're not just Jewish. They are Jewish leaders, spiritual guides. They are the ones that the Jewish people would come to for direction, for guidance, to find out what they want to know about God, what it meant to be a righteous Jew. And Jesus is dialoguing with them and basically saying, you don't even know what you're talking about. You've got it all wrong. You don't understand freedom. You're simply wrapped up in your own self-righteousness and your legalism. You've never been set free. And yet you're trying to lead in another place. In Matthew 23, Jesus says to them, you're blind guides. You can't even see, and you're trying to guide people. You're poisonous snakes. You're whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. 
You don't get it. And he even went as far to say to them in Matthew 23, where he woes on them several times, W-O-E, he says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, woe unto you, woe unto you. And as I've told you many times, it is not good to be woed on by Jesus. Because he is your ultimate judge. And, and when you see the phrase woe unto you in scripture, it means judgment is upon you. And you don't want that. You want Jesus to be your savior and your Lord, your master, the one who has set you free. Because he alone can do that. So you get to verse 37 as we're looking at this context. And in verses 37 through 48, what Jesus is going to dialogue with them about at this point, is that it's about relationship. Being genuinely set free Remember context, specifically as a Jew, is just like it is as a Gentile. It's being set free and having a genuine relationship with God. Not a superficial one, not a do's and don'ts one, not a a one about a set of rules and regulations that you do this, you do this, and do this. It's not that. It's about relationship. So the question that Jesus is going to dialogue with them about at this point and it has a two-pronged message, so you kind of hang with me, is this. Who's your father? Who's your father? He's saying to these Jews. Because it was a big deal to them, we'll see in a moment, to say to Jesus or anyone else, Abraham is our father, because Abraham was the progenitor of the Jews, and really all the nations. But Abraham is our father. We're direct descendants from him. It was such a big deal that they kept all the documents in the temple so you could go back and prove your ancestry that you were a direct descendant from one of the patriarchs. You had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He had the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. They were the patriarchs. And you, would, you could literally go back and trace, prove your ancestry. What was interesting is that in A.D. 70, when the temple was destroyed, what happened to all those documents? They're gone. They were destroyed. So nobody after that point could trace anything. And the point being, it was about Jesus. His lineage went back to, oh, by the way, I'm God. Before Abraham was, whom you such a big deal to you, Abraham, I was. I am. I always have been. I'm the one who spoke to Abraham and gave him the great covenant that you'll have a seed. You'll be the father of many nations. That through you, through you, everybody's going to be blessed. I'm the one who blessed Abraham. Abraham, as we're going to see, Jesus says to them, Abraham looked forward to my day. God preached the gospel to Abraham. And he looked forward to the day of the Messiah. Jesus said, you don't. I'm right here in your midst, and your desire for me is to kill me. Abraham would never have done that. So here's, again, the question that we're going to look at. Who's your father? Starting in verse 37. Here's what Jesus is going to say to him. You are physically, bloodline, you're physically a descendant of Abraham. Therefore, you're a Jew by blood, but you are not a child of God. A true Jew, as Romans, as Paul would call it in Romans. We'll see that in a moment. You're not a true Jew in the sense of which God intended it. You're physically descendants of Abraham, yes. But you're not a true Jew. 
It's not about circumcision of the flesh, which you got. It's circumcision of the heart that God is interested in. That circumcision was always a sign. It's like baptism. It's always a sign of something that's an inward change, a spiritual dynamic. They were circumcised to say we belong. We're, yes, we're children of Israel, but we belong to the one true God, Jehovah. Yahweh is our father, not a pagan God created in the mind of a man. Circumcision was a sign that you belong to God. But it was physical. What God was interested in, what circumcision is interested in, is circumcision of the heart, not the body. Look at verse 37 of chapter 8 in John. Jesus speaking, I know you're Abraham's descendants, everything we've been talking about, but you seek to kill me because, because my word has no place in you. You want to kill me. Now, he's leading up to that great statement before Abraham was, I am, and Abraham looked forward to my day, and we're going to see all of that. Here's what he's saying. Verse 37, one more time. I know you are Abraham's descendants physically, but you don't get it because you are trying, you desire to kill me. I am, I am. You're wanting to kill the Messiah. You're wanting to kill God. I'm God in the flesh. You're wanting to kill me. So even though you're physically descendant of Abraham, you don't get it. You're trying to kill the Messiah. You are. Now notice the end of verse 37. This is what's really important in, in getting the context and understanding what Jesus was trying to communicate to these Pharisees. The reason you want to kill me is because, end of verse 37, my word has no place in you. Not something Abraham would have done. Look at verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're rejecting, remember who they are, scribes, Pharisees, experts in the law. They taught the others. They knew the law backwards and forwards, had most of it memorized. They were the, they were the experts in it. And Jesus says to them, you want to kill me because you don't even understand the word of God. You're rejecting the very thing you claim to follow. You're rejecting it. Because you want to kill me. Abraham wouldn't do that. And I want to read you briefly from Romans, how Paul addressed this. From Romans 4 and then from Romans 9. So if you would, just listen. You don't have to turn there. Romans 4, Romans 9. Paul writes, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? And the circumcised only would be the Jews. Does this blessedness come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also. Uncircumcised would be Gentiles. So you see the dichotomy. Two groups of people. There's Jews, there's Gentiles. So Paul asked a rhetorical question. It's the way he wrote Romans. He asked a rhetorical question. Does this blessing come upon the Jews only, or also on the Gentiles? And the answer to that rhetorical question is obvious that it's for both. But we say that faith was accredited, or excuse me, accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Very important principle, and it goes all the way back to Genesis 12. Abraham was not declared righteous 
Righteousness was not imputed to Abraham. Abraham was not saved, to use a term we would use today, because he did good works. Why was he saved? Why was righteousness imputed to him? Because of his faith. Genesis 12, long before the law, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him as righteousness. The exact same term that's used in the New Testament to describe how you and I are saved. Righteousness is charged through our account when we by faith trust Christ. Same thing Abraham did. Abraham looked forward to the day of the Messiah, the Christ. We look back at it. But we both live in the reality of it. That's what Paul is communicating and what Jesus is communicating. Back to Romans. How then was it accounted to Abraham while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. In other words, the physical sign of circumcision had nothing to do with Abraham's salvation, his redemption, his righteousness in God, his, his standing, his right standing with God, had nothing to do with whether or not he was physically circumcised. It was prior to that circum- circumcision, was afterward. Verse 11, Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal, that word is going to be really important, hang on to it, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Exactly what we've been talking about. That it should be charged them. Therefore, Abraham was a father of the faith, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. Now, from Romans 9. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. In these verses that we're looking at, verses 38 here through 56, and we're leading into John 8, 58, where he says, before Abraham was, I am. The word father is used 13 times. What was Jesus trying to communicate? This is pretty important. Hang with me. Who's your father? You claim to be that God is your father. You claim that Abraham is your father. I, the Messiah, I, God in the flesh, am here to say to you that neither one is true. God is not your father because you have not by faith been circumcised spiritually. Abraham is your father physically, but he is not your father spiritually because your heart has not been circumcised. You are religious hypocrites. Jesus' words, not mine. So what Jesus is going to do now, back to verse 38, is give them a contrast. Your righteousness, Pharisees, your righteousness, your self-righteousness versus the righteousness that I, the Messiah, can give true righteousness. I'll set you free. Remember, the whole dialogue is about freedom. I can set you free. You're trying to buy freedom, and you cannot buy it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. I can give it to you, just like I did Abraham, your father, that means so much to you. Simple example, and then we'll get into this. You read through the little book of Philippians, and you know how much I love that book. Four chapters, just so powerful. It changed my life in many ways when I studied it in depth the first time. When Paul gets to listing his resume, and he's talking about prior to coming to Jesus and being saved, I was a Pharisee. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was 
everything you could be as a Jew. I was at the top of the ladder. When it came to the law, I was blameless. They believed the Pharisees, Paul, Saul of Tarsus being one of them, they did not sin when it came to the law, the way they looked at it. And then he said, I found Christ in him. And I realized everything that I was counting on, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, everything that I counted on, I had the best possible resume a Jew could have. And then when I stacked it up next to Jesus, it was a pile of manure, his word. You could not have been any more self-righteous than Saul of Tarsus. When we met Jesus on the Damascus Road, he suddenly realized what? Oh, I am chief among sinners. So he would describe himself later, struggling. I'm chief among sinners. Who will deliver me from the body of this death, he wrote. I struggle with sin. You know why I love that? Because we all struggle with it. We all understand that. Paul's just like one of us. Yet in his mind, prior to his Damascus Road encounter with Jesus, he would look down on every one of us and every other person he knew, with few exceptions, as less than him, because he was a Pharisee. It was all about my self-righteousness. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to these guys. It's why it was so hard on them, because they thought they were right with God, and he said, quote, you're going to hell, and you're taking people with you, because you don't get it. Now let's look at the dialogue. We're going to look at his deity versus their works. Verse 38 again. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. I want you to flip over for a moment to chapter 14 of John. Chapter 14, verse 10. Now, what Jesus is doing here, again, encountering as he encounters these Pharisees, he's contrasting their self-righteousness, their works-based religion with his deity and what he could provide genuine righteousness in him. So he said, here are my words, and later on we'll talk about his works. Here are my words. Let's compare them with your works. So look at chapter 14, verse 10. This is the upper room discourse, part of it, where Jesus is preparing the 11 guys to carry on after he's gone. 14.10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Both my words and my works are those of God. God the Father, I'm God the Son. And as it continues in chapter 14 and chapter 16, I'm going to send you God the Holy Spirit. We're all, and then I'm going to be with you always, he tells them later on. What I say, what I do, I do as God on earth, as the Messiah, the sent one. We'll see it several times in this passage. The sent one, sent by God the Father, as God the Son, to be the Son of Man. I do the Father's will perpetually. That's why when he taught us how to pray, he emphasized, glorify the Father and do the Father's will. Just like I, Jesus, have done. 
And he was God. I hope you see the import of that. Why was it so necessary for Jesus to pray? Because he wanted to make sure we understood how necessary it is for us to pray. Now, 1441. 14, excuse me, 1424. 1424. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Now, go back to John chapter 8. Look at verse 41. You do the deeds of your Father. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. You do the deeds of your Father. Now, drop down to verse 44. You, Pharisees, religious hypocrites, self-righteous, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. What you're going to see is that they just simply, they don't have an answer for Jesus' message. So what do you do when you don't have an answer for the message? You attack the messenger. This is what Jesus, Jesus is saying to them, two things that he brings up. Number one, you're trying to kill me, just like your father the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He wanted to murder Adam and Eve. He wants to murder me. Oh, he, that's, that's his goal. You're doing his work for him. He wants to murder me. He also is a liar. And you're not listening to the word. You are lying and twisting the words of God, the scriptures. What you teach people as spiritual. He was a liar. You're lying to the people. The truth is not in you. So it's going to be a personal attack on Jesus. They would would accuse him of being born of fornication. We're going to get into all that. All right, back to verse 38. Excuse me, go to verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and I came from God, nor have I come of myself. He sent me. Continual theme in the Gospels. Jesus, I am from above. I am sent from heaven. I have come to do the Father's will over and over and over again. The Father sent me. Back to verse 42. He sent me, verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You have your father, the devil. We just read the desires of your father you want to do. So here's Jesus' point. If God were your father, you would love me. You don't listen to me. I'm telling you the truth. You don't want to hear it. Look now down to verse 46. 45. I tell the truth. You don't believe me. Verse 46. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? You need to take that verse and have it tattooed on your spouse's forehead. I'm sure Madison would love that. Your forehead, it would look good, like on oh mine. But I love that verse. Look at it again. 46. Which of you, Pharisees, self-righteous, You call me a son of fornication. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? 
That is what the United States of America needs today more than anything else. People to be confronted with, this man is the way, the truth, and the life. Why do you not believe him? Give me a biblical reason not to believe him. You can't. Find some fault in him. You can't. Pilate tried and couldn't. And he was a pagan. Find some fault in him. In either what he taught, what he did, or who he was. You cannot. That's why when he says in John 14, we were reading from earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I offer it to you as a free gift. I want to read you a quote. He's saying to them, tell me what I'm guilty of. Even before Pilate, why am I guilty? You can't find any reason. Why are you doing this? Why do you reject? I was witnessing to my brother about this very thing. He he considers himself an intelligent agnostic. And we were just discussing this subject. And I said, why do you reject Jesus? Give me a reason. And we went through a bunch of reasons. And ultimately it comes down to there's not an intelligent, logical, rational reason to reject him. It's a moral decision. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I will choose for myself. This is so important we understand when we're sharing our faith. God created human beings with that capacity to do so. Free, moral. He put Adam and Eve in paradise in the Garden of Eden and said, don't eat the fruit of this tree. Why? To see if they would trust him. See if they would love him and then obey him. It's exactly what Jesus said. If you love me, you will what? You will obey me. And Satan, the liar from the beginning, the anti-God from the beginning, was able to convince them God is being cruel to you by giving you that one restriction. Because he knows when you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him, having your eyes opened. And they trusted Satan instead of God. He's really good at what he does. John Phillips, in his commentary about this, wrote this, and it was so good, I want to read it to you. Talking about here, verse 46, he says these words. Jesus challenged them to point the finger at a single sin in his life. He dared them to take the entire Mosaic law in all its 613 commandments and test his life by its letter and spirit. He challenged them to take the prophets and the writings as well, the whole Old Testament, their scriptures, and to lay that infallible plumb line alongside his life, see if they could could detect the slightest deviation from the upright and the true. He challenged them to go to his home, cross-examine those who had lived with him, his mothers, his brothers, his sisters, to see if they had ever been, if he, Jesus, had ever been anything less than perfect. Had he ever done anything he ought not to have done? Had he ever failed to do something he ought to have done? Had he ever behaved lustfully or spoken covetously? Could they find any sin in his public or private life? And the answer is, they couldn't. The reason Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient, the substitutionary atoning sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient to redeem us 
It's because he was perfect. He was the Lamb of God. Perfect, sinless Lamb who died in our place. Jesus said, verse 47, you don't hear, you don't listen. Look at verse 47. He who is of God hears God's words, therefore you do not hear because you're not of God. This is very powerful. Understand, come back to context with me. These are the words of our Savior. These are the words of God, Emmanuel, God with us, the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And he's looking at these Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the Jews. What did he just say to them? You're not listening to me because you don't listen to God. You claim to, but you don't. As we said earlier, they knew the law backwards and forwards. What did they not know? They didn't know the God of the law. They didn't know the spirit behind it. They simply knew the rules and regulations. Let's pause for a moment and apply this. Prior to your conversion, or maybe growing up, I know it was for me, you know how I understood God? And I went to church every Sunday. My mom made us go every Sunday. You know how I understood relating to God is that the church says you could do this, you could do this, you could do this, and you can't do these. And you, if, you, if you do these, you're a bad boy and you're in trouble. If you do these, you're a good boy and mom will be all right with you and God will be all right with you. I was terrified of God because I spent more time where? Over here. And, and I was terrified of God. No one ever explained the gospel. No one ever said, you're a sinner and we all are. And you're not ever going to be good enough. But Jesus died for you anyway. He loved you enough, Romans 5, 8, that he died for you while you were still in your sin. He loved you and died for you. Greater love has no man than he laid down his life for his friends. He did that for me. And that was explained to me at age 16 in a different church. And it clicked. That makes sense. Because I know I'm not good. And I wasn't a bad kid. I was just a kid. But I, I knew that I was a sinner. And they were saying, Jesus will forgive you. Wow. And they showed me that verse in Psalm where it says, He remembers your sins no more, removes them as far as the east is from west. I love that metaphorical picture. They're not ever going to come up again. And you know, when they do come up, who brings them up? Satan. Because he's a murderer. He's a liar. And he has been from the very beginning. He has one goal for you as a believer. You know Christ is your Savior. He simply has a goal for you. To keep you defeated. Keep you ineffective. Keep you focused on yourself and not on loving, sharing people and sharing the gospel with them. He knows he doesn't have you for eternity, so what he wants to do is defeat you now. And you know, one of the best ways to share the gospel with another person is to share your own story and to admit your, like we talked about Paul, what did he call himself? Chief among sinners? Be honest. I'm a sinner. I struggle, just like you do. The old bumper sticker from years ago, 
Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. I love the fact I can look someone in the eye and say, God loves you and Jesus died for you just like you are. He loves you. He meets you right where you are. And he wants to save you from the wrath of God. And you're never going to be good enough. It does not matter who you are. You will not be good enough to attain righteousness. You have to, by faith, receive it. So what does Jesus say to them? You don't listen, verse 47. Now look at their response, verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? You've got to understand context. This is amazing when you understand context. The dialogue that's going on, again, about freedom, about self-righteousness, about true righteousness given to you only by God himself. Remember, Jesus is Jewish. They're Jewish. We mentioned it a moment ago. They don't have an answer for his message. So what do they do? They attack the messenger. Please notice verse 48 again. Their answer to Jesus was twofold. Number one, you're a Samaritan. And number two, you have a demon. You see, so much of this in our culture today, just attacking each other. Nothing really good to say, just attack someone. In politics, it's just become, whether you're on the left or you're on the right, this would be the left over here, Randy, whether you're on the left or you're on the right, you just attack, just attack. You usually don't have anything to say, just, just attack. Two things they're doing here. And notice, remember, they're speaking to God himself. Number one, they slur him racially. You're a Samaritan. If you're a Jew, you know what a Samaritan was to you? A half-breed dog. Samaritans were the ones that tried to keep him from rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem when they came back from Babylon. They hated Samaritans. Remember Jesus gave the parable of the good Samaritan to teach them a lesson. They would not even walk through Samaritan country. They would go around it. They hated Samaritans. And to call someone a Samaritan was the lowest thing you could call them. Racially. But then they slur him religiously. You're not only a Samaritan, you're demon-possessed. And again, if you were a Jew, a religious Jew... On a spiritual level, the worst thing you can say to someone is you're possessed by a demon. You're a half-breed dog possessed by a demon. Please notice Jesus' response, verse 49. I don't have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. You don't see any venom. You don't see any vitriol. You don't see any attacking of them, just stating truth. He ignores the racial slur. You're a half-breed dog. He doesn't even deal with that. Okay, whatever. But he speaks to the spiritual one. He answers it. I can't have a demon. I love this. I can't have a demon because I honor God. Demons don't do that. I honor God. So I can't have a demon. Look at chapter 5 for just a moment. Flip back. Chapter 5. Verse 23, Jesus says to them, I don't have a demon because I honor the Father. You dishonor me. 
I honor God, you dishonor God. He'd already told them, you're children of the devil. He said, you dishonor God. Now look at chapter 5, verse 23. That all should honor the Son, 5.23, all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now please look at me for a moment. We live in a culture that when it comes to this particular principle, even in the church, you're seeing it become very popular to say Jesus is a way, not what? The way. Please hang with me. When Jesus makes statements like this, and others that we've quoted, and there are many others you could quote, when Paul tells Timothy there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, either Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and the only way a man can know God is through him, or he's what? He's a liar, which would make him a sinner, which would make his sacrifice not sufficient, or he's a crazy man. He's a lunatic. He said, if you say you honor God, then you have to honor me. You can't honor Jesus by putting him, throwing him in with Buddha, throwing him in with Muhammad, throwing him in with Confucius, throwing him in with whatever religious leader you want to pick or set of principles. Everybody has a philosophy of life. We talked about that a million times. You can't just chunk Jesus in there with the rest of them and you pick him instead of another one. Now, does that make us better than anyone else? No. That's the key, is that we have to witness with gentleness and respect and lovingly share the gospel and dialogue with people. Meet them where they are and listen. Why do you believe that's true? Let's talk about it. Because we care. I can set you free. Now, we got three minutes. Take your outline and tear it up into small pieces. No, no, no. Next week, we're really going to be into it, but I want to show you point one, just part of it, and then we're going to stop for today because I want to make sure you see the context. Verse 50. Jesus says, I don't seek my own glory. By implication in everything we've talked about, whose glory were the Pharisees seeking? Their own glory. So Jesus said, I don't seek my own glory, even though ultimately that's the, he will because he's God. There is one who seeks and judges. Number one on your handout, this is, again, this is what... The essence of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's his great promise to people. You come by faith, repentance and faith. You trust me, my work on the cross. I conquered sin and death, my death, my burial, my resurrection. Paul says that sums up the gospel. You trust in me to save you. Here's my great promise for you, number one on your handout. If you forget everything else I say today, take this home. Jesus promised you will not die. No death for believers. Wait a minute. Jesus 
Of course we're going to die. That's the beauty of understanding the gospel. Look at verse 50 one more time. I don't seek my own glory. There's one who seeks and judges. I seek to glorify God the Father. You seek to glorify yourselves. God knows I'm worthy. And I can make a promise to you and to everybody else. You will not die. Because I died and came back from the dead. John eleven twenty five. 25, right before he raises Lazarus from the dead, that great passage, what did he say? Every funeral I do, I, I usually end with this. I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in me, though he may die physically, yet he will live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. That's why the Bible says, if you're a Christian, the day you die is the best day of your life. That's why the Bible says, when you're in Christ, God is your father. And when you die, he says, it's a precious thing in his eyes when one of his saints passes away. Psalm 16. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Because you go home to be with your daddy One last verse and we're done for the day. Flip back to chapter 5 again. Chapter 5, verse 41. 541. Jesus speaking again. 541. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If I come in, if, if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the what? Only God. We quoted it a moment ago, but I want to quote it one more time because I think it's very important and appropriate. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. We're going to memorize this verse today. You ready? There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ, Jesus. Now I'm going to call somebody up. to One God. Not a bunch of them. Before Abraham was, I am one God. One mediator, the God-man between God and man. Christ Jesus. I hope that encourages you and excites you about your faith. And and don't be afraid to talk to people who aren't Christians. That's why you're here. That's why you're on the planet. To love people because Jesus loves them first. To share the gospel because you've been set free and you want to see them set free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for freedom, freedom that only Jesus Christ can bring. So we think about it on the 4th of July, and I've been to just two fireworks shows in the last week and just watching the beauty of that and, and how it pales in comparison with the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, ascended to the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. We're so privileged, not better, privileged because we're forgiven. Lord, I hope we can be excited about who our Savior is, that he can set people free, and that we'll lovingly, compassionately, 
share the gospel with them because Jesus loves them and died for them. I thank you for these folks, Lord. I pray you bless them, whether they're here in the house or watching virtually, bless them as they love other people who are just confused and don't know that Jesus loves them. We pray in his name, amen. Please stand and we'll close out our time together.